Fulcrum Transmissions, a Star Wars podcast. Thank you for joining us this week. Episodes will typically be uploaded every Monday, and any changes to that schedule will be posted on our Twitter and TikTok at Fulcrum Pod and on Instagram at Fulcrum Podcast. So be sure to follow us on any of those for previews and information about upcoming episodes. Hi, my name is Sage. I use she, they pronouns, and you can find me on TikTok and on Twitter at Sage Sindula. Hi, my name is Claire, and my pronouns are she, her. You can find me on TikTok at Claire Kenobi and on Twitter at Corky Kenobi. Hi, my name is Beth. My pronouns are she, her, and you can find me on TikTok at mara.j.skywalker. All right, and um, today... Hey, uh, welcome to episode two of Countdown to Kenobi, a series in which we remind you everything about uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi's canonical life up until the Kenobi series premieres. Let me set the stage for our listeners. It is 32 BBY. The Trade Federation has just been defeated at the Battle of Naboo, but not without cost. Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn has been slain by the Sith apprentice Darth Maul, who was then killed in a passion by Jedi Padawan learner Obi-Wan Kenobi. To fulfill Qui-Gon's dying wish, Obi-Wan is ascended into knighthood and reluctantly given permission to take on nine-year-old Anakin Skywalker as his Padawan, and thus the disaster begins. Today we're going to be going over the major events um, in Obi-Wan's life between the time after The Phantom Menace right up until around season six of Clone Wars. Uh, Would love to talk about Revenge of the Sith today, but we would be here literally all night. So um, this episode will most likely include spoilers for various comic series taking place between the years 32 BBY and 19 BBY, The Clone Wars, Attack of the Clones, and Dark Disciple, where I hope I don't go on a train of um, thought without mentioning Obi-Wan's sneaky link, Quinlan Voss. Also, fair warning, I cannot promise that I will be on my best behavior if we start talking about Commander Cody. Uh, in fact, I will actually become the worst possible person to record with. So that is as much of a warning for our listeners as it is for you two. Um, to set the tone and start us off, I am bringing to the table a line from one of the earliest canonical accounts of Obi-Wan and Anakin's master and apprentice relationship, the comic miniseries Obi-Wan and Anakin by our beloved Charles Soule. Uh, we've said before that Charles Soule is truly off the shits for the comics that he writes for Star Wars, uh, and how we absolutely love him for that, love him, but this one, um, it actually kind of hurts. So Obi-Wan and Anakin issue one starts off with the two guys on a planet, uh, completely demolished by war, and Anakin asks Obi-Wan why the Jedi did not take steps to prevent this war from happening. Obi-Wan gives his usual, oh, the Jedi are under jurisdiction of the Senate, and if a planet isn't uh, a part of the Senate, there's nothing we can do. Uh, But then he says, and even if we weren't, there are only 10,000 of us to keep the light of the peace uh, alive in the galaxy. The Jedi can guide, we can teach, we can help people to help themselves, but we are not an army. If people are truly determined to write themselves out of existence, there is little we can do. Obi-Wan throughout his entire life is a keeper of the peace, a negotiator, and a guiding light for so many people. Yet in the end, he, along with his entire culture, is written out of existence due to actions that while he had no control over, uh, he was a participant in. Oh my God, can we talk about, have you, Age of Republic? the Obi-Wan mm-hmm. issue that's because that is okay. canon it's tragic where you learn about I, I don't want to say like how much trauma he carries over with like the fact that he couldn't save Qui-Gon 
Um, but they, that's like what the end of it is. That is the moral of it. It's yeah. kind of deceptive because it's like in the middle of an anthology. And so you wouldn't think that it's like, oh, this is the beginning of like, this is the beginning of their story. Um, but I think Anakin, I think it's like three years after the Phantom Menace. Um, and it follows them on their first, like the first mission he gets to go with, um, to like with Obi-Wan off world, they go to this planet called Dalinor to find a Jedi holocron supposed to be very, very like simple, very easy. Anakin gets kidnapped by pirates. Everyone ends up being okay. But like the the ending is just Obi-Wan being like, yeah, the reason I didn't want to bring you is because if I couldn't save like a great Jedi master, like Qui-Gon and you got in trouble, how could I save you? And it's like, Okay. (laughs) It's like, this is really heavy for a comic. This got deep very fast. That's like the thesis of Obi-Wan's life, though, is that like all he really wants is to protect the people he cares about and like serve the light. And those were the two things that were like constantly being stripped away from him. Like his ability to protect people he cared about, like just one after the other. Um, And that's like why his story is so heartbreaking because of how much he's lost and just like, his dedication to the Jedi Order and to the light side of the force. And like, obviously he is still dedicated to the light side of the force, like even after Order 66, but like the loyalty that he feels to the Jedi Order in particular, and he loses that too. So just like, he really can't keep anything that is important to him. And that's why his story is so tragic and why like just everything that happens to him, you're like not another thing for Obi-Wan to have to go through. I think to your point, Claire, like that goes back to um, in Master and Apprentice, that last line, which is like the most eviscerating line of the entire book, um, where he's like looking at Qui-Gon's body before it's going to be burned. And he's like, I choose to believe in like the light and the good and that like, you know, in Anakin essentially. And it's like, he does continue to make that choice again and again and again and like that's how he deals with loss and I think that's such an admirable thing um just for humanity in general but especially just yeah he's he's straight up not had a good time (laughs) before we get into like the like the Clone Wars era um actually well I guess we'd be going into Attack of the Clones first I can't wait I'm gonna be such a bad person I'm so sorry um (laughs) I want to talk a little bit about Obi-Wan's outlook um, on his role as Anakin's master kind of going off of like what you were saying both of you uh he feels obligated to train him right at first uh it's his master's dying wish uh he doesn't necessarily that doesn't mean he doesn't want to you know because he truly does care for Anakin but it does mean that every failure that Anakin has Obi-Wan takes upon himself uh even he even says in issue three of the comic series Obi-Wan and Anakin um if there is a problem it is with me the failure is mine when he's talking about uh Anakin god Charles Soule I love you but please like stop (laughs) ripping my heart out anyways um it is not the uh healthiest mindset for anyone to have but especially for a teacher you know, to have something um, that Obi-Wan falls short with is holding Anakin accountable, like in his own mind. He uh, just is always like, oh, Anakin messed up. My fault. I'm not being a good enough teacher. Um, This leads to a sort of like wall in their relationship. Um, I like to call it the like steer clear of the daddy issues and call me brother kind of uh, 
problem that we have here. Um, however, this is uh, kind of an issue, not Obi-Wan's fault, of course. Uh, Anakin is his own person. However, it leaves Anakin without uh, a father figure, uh, which for some reason he feels the need to have. And uh, that's how he, you know, becomes in league with Chief Palpatine. Palpatine heavily manipulates that boy. So it's really not Anakin's fault uh, or Obi-Wan's fault, but it still happened. What I was saying, Obi-Wan blames himself for literally every pitfall Anakin has. And I just want to stop him in the face and be like, stop, you're so slay. Don't do that. And then kiss him on the mouth. Especially <laughs> if we're talking about Obi-Wan in his mullet era, stop. I was just Are about to kidding? say like Attack of the Clones Obi-Wan, I don't even like, no other Obi-Wan compares. When Obi-Wan is tied up to that pillar <laughs> in the Geonosis <laughs> arena, God, my like inner slut crawls out and I literally, I'm so sorry. I need to shut up. My mom listens to this podcast, but it's true. <laughs> but it is true. Sorry, mom. And then we get to um, attack the clones where uh, we see them. I love that like first scene when they're, you know, just in the speeder and Obi-Wan's like can you please stop trying to kill me mm, maybe okay so I actually not unpopular opinion because I have said it so many times I hated Anakin until I watched the Clone Wars so I watched everything in chronological order I was watching it with my friend and I was like this is who we're talking about here this is supposed to be Darth Vader and um yeah and then I watched the Clone Wars and now I'm sad all the time actually but uh he's a funny little guy in that movie. <laughs> Anyways, we're not talking about Anakin. We're talking about Obi Wan. Um, yeah, this is like one of the first times we really see in like on screen just how like close and how like goofy they are together. Uh, and that obviously gets expanded upon more in the Clone Wars. But yeah, their relationship is so good. And I like obviously I was just saying how it's unhealthy. So like I'm kind of being a hypocrite here, but they are adorable, and I do love them together. They're always just more my heart they I think what's so funny is they always build up you know that Anakin had this idea of Obi-Wan as like the perfect Jedi but within the first like 20 minutes of that movie we have Obi-Wan like like drinking on the job like making fun of Anakin like jumping out of a building just being like obviously just being amazing but it's so funny to see like okay Anakin clearly has a very different perception of Obi-Wan than like what he actually what he actually is and I love that dichotomy. I also just love like, like you're saying like how close they are, but they like the fact that we know they view each other's brothers, like you talked about that a bit, but they also stay really close even after Anakin has been knighted and he's no longer Obi-Wan's like apprentice. Technically, he's still learning from him and they still like throughout pretty much all of the Clone Wars, they're together for a lot of it. And we see a lot more of their interactions in the Clone Wars series because they just stayed really close even after that apprenticeship was over and even like I'm so sorry I'm gonna bring up the Ahsoka novel like once um we get a little bit of Anakin well we get some Obi-Wan in that too and it's really great but we also get some of Anakin's thoughts on like when he takes on Ahsoka as an apprentice he's worried that taking on an apprentice of his own will like make Obi-Wan think that he's like replacing him or that he like doesn't have time for him anymore and so the fact that like even after he has Ahsoka as his Padawan, he still stays so close from Obi-Wan. He still views him as like a teacher and a mentor figure. Literally up until the point where he turns, he still like 
carries such a high respect for Obi-Wan. Um, and it's something that like, we see it in some other master and apprentice relationships, but I don't think ever like to this extent that the two of them have this mutual respect between them. Like it's something that we don't see to that level. Um, and I think it's one of the things that like makes their relationship stand out, especially in the earlier days, like in early Attack of the Clones and like early in the Clone Wars. Agreed. One of the things I love, so I love the Ahsoka novel. Like you can talk about it as much as you want because I love it. So good. Also, so I share. I love okay, that I, from you. <laughs> God, I just, but one of the things that um, every single time I read that chapter, the Christophsis one with Anakin, and he does talk about like, oh, I didn't want, you know, I don't want everyone to feel replaced, like blah, blah, blah. And then you realize, you know, he has Ahsoka and they become very close but then it also makes you wonder like okay Obi-Wan never did take on another Padawan that's really sad first of all because obviously like Anakin and Ahsoka are growing closer but then it also if you flip it inversely it means that he too wanted to stay close to Anakin and so I don't like thinking about that too much because that makes me sad but thinking about that one line in Dark Disciple where where Quinlan Voss is just like oh um why do you think that you're coming along with us Anakin when he's like going off with Obi-Wan and Anakin's like because I always do because I always just do (laughs) Obi-Wan just doesn't even he's just like yeah at this point he is stuck with me (laughs) we do things together my favorite episodes of the Clone Wars are like truly when when Obi-Wan is um working like with the 212 I wonder why. I wonder why. It couldn't be because maybe I'm literally obsessed with Commander Cody. Um, but no, that's not it at all. I uh, do love, though, when the 212th and like the 501st team up and they just, oh, their dynamic is so great. And I thought that was such a like great way to show Obi-Wan's kind of uh, like thoughts on the war and how this is going, because we know that he believes the Jedi are not supposed to be an army, but he also, you know, feels very deeply that he needs to be protecting people and that if this is what the 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 council and what the senate thinks is absolutely necessary then he's gonna do it uh because he believes in the jedi um but yeah i thought that was such an interesting way to explore that and you know i think that the clone wars is very humorous because it, it was written for children to watch but when you like look a little bit deeper read through the lines you're like oh ow Jeez, <laughs> Obi-Wan, are you okay? <laughs> Anyways. The Landing at Point Rain episode is probably one of my like top, it probably is my favorite episode, but I love seeing the <laughs> the differences between how the 212th and the 501st operate because you have Anakin and Ahsoka just like yeeting wrecks everywhere and <laughs> clearly like Obi-Wan and Cody have like a strategy. Um, and it's there, there are also some great, create Cody one moments in there it's like I love that episode because I just I feel like it also emulates so much of who Obi-Wan is like when he's like injured at the end and he like can hardly get up and yet he stands up again and he's you know ready to fight and die and then luckily of course Anakin comes in and saves the day um but I love like that episode is just so good because it also the way it's framed too is he's like very alone like it's just him in the center of the frame and you're like oh this is a this is a horrible metaphor but also a great metaphor but also now I'm sad so. no I love that episode. that's probably my my favorite arc is the Geonosis arc in the Cold Wars uh, that one in the the Cadavo arc we'll talk about it but yeah there are some really great Cody One moments in it and I have to stop talking about Cody One because it's 
I just will go down a hole. But um, I, yeah, that episode, as you were saying, that whole arc really, and we also get to see a little bit of um, Ahsoka's like relationship with Obi-Wan. I love when like that moment where he is like going to fight, even though he's hurt and the odds are against him. And then like Ahsoka comes and checks up on him right away. And I was like, oh my God, where is, you know what, if... I can't believe we're already mentioning the Kenobi series, but if she's not mentioned in the Kenobi series, I might actually throw a fit, might throw bricks through windows. Uh, it's it's going to be a nightmare on my TikTok page. Um, I agree. I hope that he at least talks about her. Um, if we could have like Clone Wars flashbacks maybe with her, that would maybe. be fine. But, <laughs> but at the very <laughs> least, a mention. <laughs> Thinking about that one line in the Ahsoka novel, wow, I brought up the Ahsoka novel this time. That's crazy. <laughs> that never happens. Um, but I'm thinking about that one line where Ahsoka's like, or Caden was like, oh, did your parents argue a lot? And she was all like, the time, oh, all the time. Stop. No, because the line is that. And then right after that, it's like Caden couldn't tell exactly what memories Ahsoka was thinking of, but she knew it was a good one. And like, yes. I. Ah, <laughs> oh, so true, Ahsoka novel. You. Anyway, I can't start talking about the Ahsoka novel. So good. It has like so many of those like little eviscerating moments in it too. And oh God, especially when she's like, oh, what would Anakin or Obi-Wan do? Um, yeah. Like and like the when contrast trying- between mm-hmm. when she's like, Obi-Wan would have like sat down and thought this through, through and tried to like negotiate his way through it. And Anakin would have like jumped in and started swinging. And I'm going to like find the middle ground between that. And that's like, so much of who Ahsoka is at that point is trying to balance out like the best qualities in each of them and try to like honor them both through her actions now that she like can't be with them anymore. One of my favorite Clone Wars arcs um, is the Ryloth arc. It's not really an arc, it's only two episodes, but we get the like waxer and boil ending moments in that. And uh, I could talk about them for literally days. <laughs> Anyways, Obi-Wan and that, we get um, a lot of like his like tactics view and how he uh sees like things and count moves and counter moves things like that he um is really good at war for somebody who never wanted to be a part of it uh which I think is just all the more sad but you know it is the star wars there's war all the time even after order 66 and stuff when he's just chilling on Tatooine um which we're going to get to see in the Kenobi series that happens then. But, you know, anyways, it's so um, besides the point. But yeah, I thought that, you know, him and his, maybe I will start talking about Cody one. Him and his relationships with the clones is very uh, sweet to me personally. Not even, even if we're not even looking in like a romantic sense between him and, and Cody. Um, I, I'll uh, appease the fanboys for a moment here. Even if they are just like brotherly figures to one another, um, I he, the way that he is respectful and is so like uh, encouraging of them, and he trusts them with his life um, is really a testament to who he is as a person and how he sees the light. Because you know, at the end of the day these Jedi had really didn't understand where like the clones came from. They were, they, a lot of Jedi were wary of the clones. Quinlan Voss, I will literally smack you. Anyways, can't believe he broke Cody's legs. 
every time I can't, I'm sorry. Um, as I was saying, you know, <laughs> we obviously get like different views of how, how the Jedi interact with the clones in Clone Wars. Uh, Anakin and Rex are super close. Pong Krell is a piece of poo on the ground who I will step on. Um, but, you know, we we see all of that. And then we see Obi-Wan who's just like, these are my these are my friends, but also people that I work with. Uh, and that, you know, he supports how Obi-Wan is such a good Jedi and is such a good um, Jedi at following the code uh, in regards to attachment. Uh, Obi-Wan's view on the attachment is so interesting to me because, you know, he does get attached very easily, actually. He's always, he really cares for people, but when losing those attachments, he doesn't lose hope. He doesn't fall to the dark side. Uh, and he knows when it's time to let go. Oh my God, Cantum Psy moment. Anyways, I think they would be such good friends. So true. I think Obi-Wan would thrive in the High Republic era. Um, let's flash back to Attack of the Clones, actually, because we didn't talk about it enough um, because I started being horrible. Maybe I will just get it out of my system before we start. But when Obi-Wan goes to Kamino, he is doing that little tour where um, it's not Nalase, it's the other Kaminoan who's like, look at all my clones. The worst one. Obi-Wan's looking at all the clones. And then one of the clones, this is when they're all in like the red like suits. They're not in armor yet. Like looks up at Obi-Wan. That's Cody. That is Cody. You're literally insane. Destined to be together from the start. He felt him through the force. They felt each other through the force because they're soulmates. You guys have to start. We have to talk about the other clone during that trip. Well, not clone, I guess, that Obi-Wan has like a weirdly homoerotic exchange with, which is Jango Fett himself. Yeah. Like Star Wars, what was all that? Um, And I'm supposed to believe that Obi-Wan Kenobi doesn't like men. After no. that interaction, I'm not also, buying it, actually. I don't think that uh, you're giving too much credit to Star Wars. That was literally Ewan McGregor and Tamara Morrison. Like, okay, that was you're all right. That. You're so right about that. <laughs> Thank you, guys. You did it all for us. I, I think it was really neat that he was the one who kind of, like, walked into this mess of uh, what Palpatine slash Dooku slash Sipodius had set up um in order to take control of the galaxy and it happened to be kenobi who was the one to be like oh look at all of these clones i'm gonna have to now take all this information back to the council and then we're going to start a clone army to win this war between the separatists and the republic um again it's so sad because (laughs) He never wanted to be a fighter, and he literally said it multiple times that the Jedi were not supposed to be warriors. They were not supposed to be soldiers, and then that's exactly what they ended up being, which is why they, uh, part of the reason why they fell at the end. Uh, But yeah, poor Obi-Wan. Always just, like, there. He's always just there. So true. And, like, the thing about the clone army, two things. First of all, I think it's hilarious how they're introduced, because Lama says, like, oh, are you here for your order of men? <laughs> There's that, which is, like, my favorite. It's, it's 
it's just the best thing. Um, but it really does go down. And I know this is about Obi-Wan, but this, it like Palpatine is so brilliant because either way, the Jedi were going to lose. Like he set them, but either way, it's either you're sending the clones to be killed against machines or you're like utilizing these clones and like in an incorrect or inhumane way, if you do beat them as people. And it's like, either way, they were bound to lose, which is so not fair because Obi-Wan had to deal with that from the beginning. I love Attack of the Clones because we get kind of our first, mm, I wouldn't say that actually, we get a good look at um, Obi-Wan and what he does best when Anakin is not there. Uh, because they're separated for so much of the movie. Um, and th- I love that because this is technically before the war starts, you know, it's still the Jedi are just doing their thing. You know, he's going out, he's trying to piece these clues together, a little detective Obi-Wan moment. Love that for him. Uh, but yeah, he gets we get to see him and how he, he thrives off of doing what the Jedi were meant to do. Uh, he really was just someone who you know, was raised in the order, which is, we don't, other than the higher public, we didn't really get to see that because so much of the Jedi that we knew about were either from after order 66, when it was just Luke and Yoda and old, old Ben Kenobi, but he was raised to be a Jedi and he kept to that through his entire life. And that's why everything is so successful or so successful, so to speak in the end meaning they brought balance to the force by Luke defeating Darth Vader um, or whatever happened. I don't remember. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He He's just he's just so good at it. And, you know, that's why they succeed and because he brings his knowledge and this hold he holds so tight to these ideals of bringing the light and compromising where you can in order to do the most good. Uh, and I think that's very Obi-Wan and that is proven throughout the entire Clone Wars. Um, I'm going to talk about High Republic again because there's an episode where Obi-Wan Kenobi goes to, oh, it's actually the, the same episode where they uh, go in those little ball things. They fall, they bounce. I think they're on Felucia. Hondo Amnaka is there. God, Obi-Wan Kenobi has so many boyfriends. It's ridiculous. Anyways, he is meets these little guys and they're like help the pirates are taking over and he's like and there he's like why aren't the jedi helping us and blah blah blah. this is you guys let this happen to us and obi-wan says something along the lines of no it's not the jedi's fault actually if more planets stood up to the separatists when they invaded and didn't rely on the jedi's help this could have been prevented this war wouldn't have gotten as far as it did um, which to him is very true because he doesn't know that Palpatine is behind the entire thing. Um, but there's a conversation just like that in, in light of the Jedi when Bell and Loden are talking to each other and they're like, you guys need to stand up for yourselves. Like, yes, we're here to help on Hetzal, but you guys, this is not our, our job is to protect people. Our job is not to fix every single problem. Uh, and that's very true. And, you know, I think the galaxy over time definitely lost sight of that. And so then they did rely on the Jedi. Would love to see how, you know, they got to that point. Cause they, they really did get to that point before the Phantom Menace even started. We saw even how 
Naboo was relying on the Jedi. Uh, that's why Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon went in the first place. The Acolyte show, pull through for me, please. I need to know more about the, the, the rise of the Sith and the fall of the Jedi. Let's move on to the Clone Wars, even though we've already been talking about it. I won't talk about it yet, but the Lawless arc is literally my favorite Clone Wars arc for reasons that have nothing to do with Obi-Wan Kenobi, but he is actually epic in it too. So, <laughs> and I have watched it approximately 5,000 times, just estimating. So, but yeah, we'll get there. Um, The big ones for him, like one of the big ones is the Deception arc, which is another one of my faves. I know that's like a little bit later on, but that's another one in addition to the Kadabo arc that I'm like, mm-hmm. That arc actually... The deception arc kind of destroyed me a lot. I say that a lot about a lot of arcs, but that one in particular was like, oh, okay. Mostly because that's like one of two times ever that we see Ahsoka cry. <laughs> and um, which it just, you know, again, Obi-Wan definitely had such a like close relationship with her that we didn't see a lot of, which makes me so mad because I'm like, okay, well. If Anakin was like her brother figure, Obi-Wan would kind of be sort of a father figure to her. And I think that's something so special. We don't see a lot of like father-daughter or like character dynamics in Star Wars. Let's fix that. Anyways, um, yeah, the deception arc. He fakes his death, first of all. Obi-Wan fakes his death to uh, get some or to to get he goes, to- uh, yeah so yeah. he fakes his death he with i think only mace windu and yoda were in it like i don't or in on it i don't even think like the whole jedi council knew um to go undercover as reiko hardine this like bounty hunter he shaves his head trauma trauma traumatic wow what if i could wow speak? you can't even anyway, talk about it it was so traumatic i know it was such a <laughs> horrible time anyway <laughs> he goes undercover um to be in wait now I feel like I'm getting no 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 I'm right I was like I'm getting arcs mixed up to like get close to that guy oh my god I don't know that guy's name Moralo Eval which is yes. like the worst, the, the, literally the worst hate him so much also Cad Bane is there listen I'm not saying that Cad Bane and Racco Hardeen explored each other's bodies but like maybe I'm saying that anyway he's there um and he goes undercover this is also the arc where Boba Fett is incarcerated at like age 14. My God. Anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the arc. And notably, they don't tell Anakin that they're doing this. Um, so Anakin is understandably a little upset at first because he thinks that Obi-Wan has passed away. Um, and he goes on like a revenge streak to hunt down Racco Hardeen, who is now Obi-Wan. So it's not a great situation. And then once Anakin finds out about everything that's been going on he's like hmm I kind of wish maybe that you guys had like filled me in on this so I didn't have to think that literally my brother figure had died but like it's fine it worked out in the end um so this is a important moment for Anakin's arc as well as Obi-Wan's and like their relationship because there's like a little bit of trust that gets lost at this point and I don't think they ever fully gain it back and so it's like a it's a pretty big turning point and it's also just a really good arc like a lot of shenanigans it's a really fun time it's so it's like one of my favorites for so many reasons um one of the things I love though that it took me like a couple times watching it before I realized it or I realized like this is what was going on is the first time when Anakin goes after Hardeen and he because they have to 
they have to get him in prison in order so that way he can break out um, and actually start to to hunt down, you know, who is behind this potential assassination attempt uh, for Palpatine that they've heard of. Um, but when Anakin and Ahsoka first like find Hardin, who's actually Obi-Wan, uh, Anakin's like, I would kill you, but lucky for you, uh, the man who you've murdered would want to keep you alive. And I was like, oh, that's such a good moment. Like, I mean, also like good for you, Anakin, because that's like actually Obi-Wan. But I think it really does show because uh, like obviously we do see these like darker moments of Anakin throughout the Clone Wars. Um, but it really does show how much Obi-Wan's influence is there. It doesn't stay there, but it does show how much he has that influence, even though he's ostensibly dead <laughs> to Anakin. So I guess we're just going to get into it. But during that arc, um, during their little funeral scene, hated that. You know, we hear someone crying actually really loud. And it is Satine Kreese. One, I want to know how the conversation between her and Obi-Wan went after he was like, hey, hey I'm actually alive, by the way. Uh, I guess we'll get into Satine and Obi-Wan because she was really important to him. Um, I'll start because then I'm going to let you guys talk about it because I will start crying. Anyways, um, first we see of Satine, Voyage of Temptation. What an episode. Oh my God. So good. Literally, Dave Filoni got hired to write fan fiction for Star Wars and he got paid for it. And as he should, but that episode is so good because, you know, we A, get to see some past romance between Obi-Wan Kenobi and a woman. We've only seen his boyfriends this far. So that was a, that was, you know, a turn of events. We're like, wow, he is bisexual. Anyways, I'm so sorry. I need to stop talking about that. But, um, you know, she's a, one, a great character because she's A, like just so graceful and diplomatic but also so determined to protect her people and um we see this kind of shift in her character throughout you know the whole uh her whole little arc there we also get the line um something along the lines of had you said the word i would have left the jedi order obi-wan kenobi who said chivalry was dead (laughs) who said that anyways I love them so much. Like I, so I think their relationship is so fascinating because they're both two people who obviously not like chose work over romance, but chose like the idea of their greater duty over their happiness, (laughs) which sounds, no, that sounds really sad. Um, But I love when he says that there, I have so many feelings about the, like, how do you say the word I left the Jedi order? Because first of all, Oberon, you can't just always put it on the woman. Like the one thing our king you have to take some responsibility um but two it's like you know at the same time she probably wanted to but she never would because she knows that he wouldn't be happy and then if he wasn't happy like he would obviously want her to be happy and he would also know that she's not happy so it's just it's like so tragic it's like two people who love each other but they choose something you know they choose the greater good which is it's like admirable to some extent but at the same time it's there's always this like what could have been Yeah, I definitely agree about, like, I don't think Satine would have ever asked him to leave the Order because she knew that he would say yes and that, like, but she also knew how important the Order was to him and that, like, leaving wouldn't really be what was best for him in the long run. And I think that's, like, my favorite part of the relationship is, like, how well they understand each other, um, which is, like, a very, like, like, cliche thing to say about a relationship. Like, oh, they understand each other so well. But, like, in that first arc where we see them together, 
the way that they like work so well together without even having to like communicate with each other or like plan everything out they just like know how the other operates and like it's made very clear to us as viewers right off the bat like what a long or like what a um deep connection they have even though we didn't see them meet or like see whatever romantic thing unfolded between them like it is very clear to us what happened there um even before they like say it flat out and yeah like the way that um I'm thinking now I'm thinking about the lawless arc I'm so sorry but like the way that Satine calls Obi-Wan for help and the council's like "Hmm, this like we shouldn't really be getting involved on things that are going on on Mandalore and like it's not really in our jurisdiction and Obi-Wan goes anyway without the backing of like anyone in the order or anyone on the council and it's for two reasons too it's like yes because he cares about Satine but also just because he knows that the people of Mandalore need help and that's who he is um and so we get like to learn or we get to see like two really important aspects of his character in that arc of course it ends terribly and yeah and it's really sad and um once again we see this like side of obi-wan where he experiences another loss but and i think this is one of the most like impressive things i guess about obi-wan is that he experiences so much loss but at no point does he ever like give in to darkness like a lot of jedi that we see even if they don't end up like turning to the dark side fully like they have little moments or they have like they really grapple with it when tragic things happen to them but like tragedy to obi-wan just reaffirms his decision to stay committed to the light because he knows that that's the only way to get sage don't talk about Man in the chat but that's who i was talking about maybe um <laughs> oh my god what was i saying oh oh in that scene in um the scene where satine dies um he says this line to maul i can't remember the exact line but it's something along the lines of like i will always be stronger than you because like it takes strength to resist the dark side and obi-wan like always has resisted the dark side and always does and like it it really does take a lot of strength and we kind of just overlook it because we're like oh he's just a good guy so like obviously he's on the light side but like after so many tragic things happening to him especially because he survives order 66 and is one of the last surviving jedi but he never turns to darkness in all of that is like such a show of strength from him um and just like shows what he believes in at his core is that like the light is the only way to go a hundred percent agreed and the fascinating thing about that arc because I like I had a period where I was like obsessed into like figuring out Mandalore's like constitutional hierarchy basically because I was like like this thing makes no sense um also if Dave Filoni if you're ever listening please call me because I, I have some questions um but the thing that's fascinating about that arc and this ties back into Obi-Wan's quote had you said the word I would have lost the Jedi Order is the fact so when Maul is talking like talking about his plan basically he's like the Jedi uh because of Mandalore's neutrality the Jedi have no jurisdiction here basically saying that like the Jedi couldn't get involved um and if they were to, they actually would have, uh, because they would have violated a treaty that's thousands of years old. So if a Jedi was on Mandalore and had gotten involved, they would have violated this treaty and caused a war. The only way that Obi-Wan could be on Mandalore and get involved without potentially causing a war is if, and this is like an inadvertent thing, which makes it very tragic, is if he were not part of the Jedi Order. So he actually did 
Heidi said the word, I would have left the Jedi Order. So when she actually asked, he inadvertently, I don't think it was deliberate, but like, because, and that comes down to the whole like law thing too. I was like, lack of jurisdiction. I was like, I need to figure this out. So yeah, he technically could not. And obviously we do know that he was like trying to demonstrate that he was acting in his capacity as like not a Jedi by showing up in his like Rayco Hardine outfit. But that's the only way he could have been on Mandalore, gotten involved and not started a war. Um, so maybe I'll cry um, on the podcast today. We love um, our, our your sad Obi-Wan quotes of the day. <laughs> Every day. I'm not gonna lie, looking through a lot of Order 66 quotes for the other day, I was like, hmm, this isn't fun, but you know, it's great. We're thriving. We're doing great. Remember that short story in the Clone Wars Light and Dark anthology <laughs> with Obi-Wan where he goes to Mandalore? I've just been thinking about that a lot. Kenobi Shadow. Um, That story is so amazing too, as far as, again, showing how much of an influence Satine had on him because he does have that moment where after Maul kills her, where it's like, he has this vision of like killing everyone in the throne room, basically. And anybody who was like involved with her death. And then he like, that's the whole like shadow and Kenobi Shadow. And then he's like, no, this isn't what Satine would have (laughs) wanted And that's like the one thing that like Tate is able to like take him out of that moment of being super upset and then back to who he actually is. And I'm just like, oh God. Much the same way as we were with Ahsoka, where like if she's not brought up in the Kenobi series, we're gonna be angry. If Satine is not brought up, I will also be upset because like you're saying, like the impact that she had on him is something that we can see literally up until the moment he dies. Like things that she believed in and things that she like taught him through their relationship are some of like the core principles of his life and so him talking about her especially because at that point like so much time will have passed and like that is yet another loss that he never really had time to process because they were in the middle of a war and so now that he's like in a place where he can actually like reflect on everything that has happened and all the people that he's lost she's a person who he needs to like take the time to sort out how he's still feeling about her death despite the fact that it's been years and years and years um I think that their relationship though is such a good example of I guess like how to have a relationship as a Jedi or I guess like it technically isn't a relationship but like he definitely as far as like being too attached to people he definitely loved her but at the same time like when she died like obviously it still impacted him but it it's not like a situation it's a very good contrast to like Anakin I guess if you're trying to look at like two different relationships um and so I think that's what makes it it's just it's so much more tragic because it's like yeah you do have to process that yeah and I also think like the fact that they gave Obi-Wan a love interest in the Clone Wars who he literally lost um is very like it's a very good example of the ways that like he because he's obviously Anakin's like one of his main support systems and he like he knows about Anakin and Padme on some level like there's like with how close they are and they're not like that sneaky about it so like he knows um and he even tries to make like little comments to Anakin here and there being like you know I've been there too like I got you And that's why I think it's so heartbreaking that like Anakin, when we get to the end, and this is jumping ahead a bit, but like when he's having these visions of Padme dying, he never tells Obi-Wan about this. And I like, I know there's a lot of like extraneous factors of like why he didn't tell him. And like, again, like we talked about earlier, like Palpatine's influence on the whole situation. 
but I really do believe that like not that like if he had told Obi-Wan about it Obi-Wan could have like stopped him from doing everything that he did but just that like Obi-Wan who has literally experienced the death of someone that he loved could have been like it's the end of the world but it's not the end of the world if that makes sense like because Obi-Wan like as deeply as Satine's death affected him he was able to keep going and like stay true to the light and like they're very different people but I do think that Obi-Wan having experienced that himself could have had something to say that would have at least like slowed down Anakin's sort of descent where he was like so desperate to save her he didn't even take a moment to stop and think and so it's just another one of those like what if situations like what if Anakin had told him and like what if he'd been able to help and we will never know I wish they'd left that scene in Revenge of the Sith where he where Obi-Wan tells Padme hey I know you guys have like Anakin's always been in love with you like this isn't a surprise um because it's oh god it just it granted we he does act again through the Clone Wars and through Revenge of the Sith too like he knows but I would have loved to actually have that conversation in there I will just one time mention that Obi-Wan Kenobi is so sexy in the red Mandalorian armor I've been like lighting candles like every night for the past however long it's been since Kenobi was announced like there's not really any reason why we'd have a flashback to him in that specific outfit but like Mm, we could I feel like Deb Chow she's the feminine gaze she's like <laughs> I she's like they want hot Mandalorian Obi-Wan I have I have faith in her I have faith that she will I'm so glad that that this series is being directed by a woman because Obi-Wan Kenobi needs that female gaze that female lens um over his life for a bit let's talk about the Kadapa arc so um a little like sage lore, I actually uh, watched this arc for the first time on my 19th birthday. Happy birthday to me. <laughs> um, anyways, so sorry. Anyways, um, this arc is m- a masterpiece, actually, and I, I will go into depth about it because one, there is Cody one. Two, the plot is actually really good. Um, there's... <laughs> Uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin and Ahsoka, they go to uh, a planet where a bunch of Togruta have uh, set up a little colony there. Um, And then the Separatists come and they're like, we're taking you. They get kidnapped. um, And then they get brought to the Kadavo system where they are slaves for the Separatists. However, Obi-Wan and Anakin and Ahsoka are like, okay, well, we need to infiltrate um, the Zygerian Empire because they are the ones who are running the slave trade. And we need to figure out where they are and uh, how we can get them out. Um, Because the Togruta did call the Republic for help. This makes me so angry because if they hadn't, the Jedi would not have gone to save the slaves. And the thing is, is not only do we know as the audience that that would have happened, but Anakin knows it as well. So he, this obviously um, is, is an episode for him uh, or a few episodes for him. Um, but it is also is a learning moment for Obi-Wan who is kind of like, why? Like he, he is a, uh, a slave at one point he does get taken in by them um 
Anakin has already been there. And now he's not only realizing what Anakin probably had to go through as a child, even though he like knows, but he doesn't know like he does now. Um, yeah. And so he, that changes his, his view on, on the Republic and how the Jedi interfere with things. I'm smiling because I'm so sorry. I have to mention how to train your dragon real quick. Um, so, so for those of you who don't know, uh, I am the biggest How to Train Your Dragon fan of in the entire world, actually. Um, and I have read all 12. Claire, I'm going to literally leave the podcast. Anyways, um, Claire just wrote in the chat, this is news to me. Anyways, um, that was a really good impression of you, actually. Hmm, pat myself on the back for that one. Anyway, <laughs> so sorry. Back to what I was saying. Love How to Train Your Dragon. There is a book series that the movies are based on. It's 12 books long. It's by Cressida Cowell, who is a literary genius, and she deserves all of the awards. I digress. There is a line said by Hiccup. Um, he, he, at this point in the book series, has he was a slave, and now he is going to be king. Spoilers for the How to Train Your Dragon series. These books are children's books, by the way. He says this line, and he says, I think that all slave, all kings should be slaves first. I think about that every time I think about the Canavo arc because I'm like, okay, yes, Obi-Wan knew the bad things that were happening in the galaxy. He's seen everything. He's been a Jedi for a long time. This is his whole, his whole life is dedicated to keeping the peace while there is so much darkness. However, he has not experienced, had an experience like this where he is, He's also with Rex, who is enslaved, who he cares about deeply. And this entire species of people who are going to die. And he knows that. He has always been in a position of power. His entire life, he has been a Jedi, which is a position of power. Literally and figuratively, one, he is a very powerful individual. He uses the force. uh, But also, you know, he knows that he's protected all the time. He knows that if he ever gets actually kidnapped and enslaved, someone's going to come rescue him or he's going to be able to rescue himself, which is a privilege that most of the galaxy does not have. And he sees that when all of these people are like, if you're enslaved here, there's no hope for us. And that's my little cadaver rant because yes, Obi-Wan is hot and sexy in this arc, but also it is literally so genius. Um, and I'm so sorry for mentioning How to Train Your Dragon, but it was relevant and I had to do it. I think it's really interesting. I love this arc so much for so many reasons. Um, but uh, I feel like this actually really goes back to the quote from um, the trailer that we have, like about like the Jedi's compassion, because like that is how they keep Obi-Wan under control in Kadavo is obviously like, yeah, they're, they're kind of like beating up on him, but they're threatening. Like if he does anything out of line, it's not really him directly. Who's getting hurt. They're hurting the other Togruta. And like, that's what keeps him in line. And I think that's like, honestly, as somebody who has devoted his life to protecting people, to like protecting innocent people, you know, to stepping in and trying to do the right thing and have him be the impetus of all of these bad things happening to people when he's trying to help them. Like that's a lot of, that's a lot of damage. Um, and I wish, like, I wish we would have seen the aftermath of that just because for, again, a multitude of reasons, but, um, I feel like that's something that, that could require some processing as well. 
Obi-Wan's enemies perceive the amount that he cares about people as his like biggest weakness, which in some senses it is because it's always the thing that's going to like give him pause or like draw him out if they need to do that. I do think that's going to be a big part of the Kenobi series because this quote in the trailer about compassion leaving a trail and like that's how you catch a Jedi is to play into that. Um, and I'm interested to see how that's going to work out because obviously like the Inquisitors are very skilled. They know what they're doing. Um, and so I do believe that they're going to like exploit that side of Obi-Wan to draw him out of hiding and to try to like find other Jedi through that. Um, and so it'll just be really interesting to see. But it is a thing that we also see over and over again in the Clone Wars where like like Maul does it a lot it happens in this arc it happens many other times where like people see how much Obi-Wan cares and they're like I can use that to get him to do what I want or to like reveal himself or etc whatever they need from him but yeah like his enemies see this as his weakness but like in a lot of ways it's actually his biggest strength and like that just goes into the whole idea of like him being able to to love and to let go can't decide anyway um and to like care deeply for people um but also know when it's time to like say goodbye or let them go their own path or when he asked when he's faced with loss like how to deal with that um and so like him caring is actually like not a weakness it's actually his strength and it's the reason why he's such a good Jedi and why like so many people in like the fandom love him as a character but also so many characters in universe care about him so deeply because he shows that same amount of care for them and they know that like at the end of the day he's the person who is always going to be there for them no matter what I think it's a good contrast too because um as far as like him caring about you know other people and like letting and being able to let go and how that didn't apply to Anakin which is absolutely fascinating. And that's like from um, from the certain point of view, uh, Empire Strikes Back, the um, there's always another chapter. He's like, yeah, kind of messed up there. <laughs> like didn't have control over my own heart when it came to Anakin, definitely too attached, definitely caused his downfall. So I think it's, it's just like, I love the fact that he's such a multifaceted character. Oh, the Mortis arc, my beloved. Yeah. What a fever dream. I remember the first time I watched that, I was like, this is my Star Wars. This is what I want Star Wars to be. The the brother and the sister and the father and Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker and Ahsoka Tano. How interesting. How interesting that dynamic was. Um, first, I'll start us off by saying um, when they get to Mortis, you know, they 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 get to this planet, weird or weird planet thing. It's like a triangle. And um, they find first the sister, and Anakin is like, hello this is weird. And Ahsoka's like, what am I doing here? And, 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 and Obi-Wan's just like checking her out. Obi-Wan is literally just checking out the sister, the embodiment of the light side of the force. And were we all? But like so in character for him to be like, ooh, the light side of the force. (laughs) It's like the literal manifestation of him being so dedicated to the light side of the force. He's like, and I would treat her right. You know what? Obi-Wan would treat the light side of the force, right? Anyways. Oh my god. Yeah, Mortis arc, my beloved. This is, I mean, the things I could say is about Ahsoka in this arc alone, but like, specifically Obi-Wan, like you said, like, 
when you think about like I've rewatched this arc so many times and every time I notice some new detail that makes me love it even more because like you said like we have this the father the brother and the sister dynamic and we have Obi-Wan Anakin and Ahsoka and it maps over really well and like as this arc unfolds you start to see like first of all that like things aren't what they seem on this like weird you know little triangle thingy that they're on um but also this arc is when Anakin like sees his future and then is like hello well I'm gonna like go to the dark side right now actually um I think about that all the time how he like fully saw his future and then he like had to forget it and I'm like imagine if he had remembered all that that would have been some useful information um but he doesn't there's also a scene in this arc where Ahsoka gets like creepyified because <laughs> that's it literally is terrifying and that's the only way I can think about it um and fights Anakin and Obi-Wan that was really oh, hard to watch actually yeah like she was kind that's of slaying but also it was really sad in the way that Ahsoka most likely views Anakin or not Anakin Obi-Wan as a father figure that goes both ways um and so he likely sees her as some sort of daughter figure um and like wants to protect her the way he wants to protect the other people in his life and they she literally dies in this arc like she's dead and then she comes back and then she you know what I'm not gonna start talking about Ahsoka and the light side of the force and Morai because I'll be here all night um but they do lose her briefly and Obi-Wan was probably just like here we go again can I not have anything like can I literally not protect anyone and so I'm a little bit like, like I get why the main focus of that sequence of events is Anakin and Ahsoka because of the Clone Wars and it's about mainly their relationship. But I wish we'd gotten a little bit more of Obi-Wan during those moments because like he loves Ahsoka too. And we didn't really get to see much of his reaction to like having to fight her or losing her for that one moment or just like a lot of the things going on with her in that arc that were not great. And so I think it's like, we did get a lot of development of their relationship in that arc, but I feel like we could have gotten just a little bit more. We always could. I think we could always use more of them, but specifically this arc would have been a really good place to put that. Yeah, but that's just like another thing. It's like, okay, well, obviously they're close. Obviously he cares about her. Um, And where's the aftermath of that? Like, I want to know, you know, like you were saying, is Obi-Wan okay? after she like dies like yeah she got brought back but like we get to see Anakin be like, like oh my god and then they hug and it's literally the only time they ever hug in the entire series which is criminal um but but what about Obi-Wan actually I would like to know what happened there he just watched his his Padawan's Padawan his like she's like his grandchild oh my god anyways um die in front of him the thing I love about this episode as far as like the parallels with like the father and then the brother and the sister is the fact that it does like it truly does drive home like they were a little family and at one point the father says like you can't understand what a burden it is to care about your children so much and it's like he's saying that to Obi-Wan and you're like um actually I think like I think he does uh I, I feel like he's probably got it at this point and it has the whole like we'll be okay as long as we stick together line and I'm like no let's not you want to talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi and and Darth Maul for a minute they have this like almost one-sided feud 
because Maul is so obsessed with revenge and so like just obsessed with taking Obi-Wan down in every single way that he can. And that obviously starts with taking away the things that he loves, right? He wants Obi-Wan to feel his pain rather than to just kill him right off the bat, uh, which is why Satine is dead and um, why he literally takes over Mandalore. I'm obsessive and crazy. You're gay. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Do you guys know what yes. that's? Okay, thank you. Because I literally just thought of that and I was like, I wonder if that made any sense. Anyways. Um, no, but like, I why are Darth- you, Darth Maul, as a man, spending your whole life trying to find another man? I, Kate, Claire, <laughs> I just have to say, I literally thought you were going to say, why are you Darth Maul as a man? Like, to me. And I was like, maybe I will literally leave the podcast, actually, and block you on literally all of social media. That has <laughs> created a rift in our friendship. Um, I didn't even say that. <laughs> Do not take my words out of context. I was simply saying that Darth Maul is gay. Anyways, and then we already have said that, you know, Obi-Wan's like, you can't destroy me because it takes strength to turn the, they always turn to the light. So true. Um, And then I'm going to jump ahead to Rebels because I don't think we're going to talk about Rebels in our countdown to Kenobi very much. He was only in one episode. But then, you know, Obi-Wan finally faces Darth Maul for the last time. Finally. It's a very emotional moment because, you know, here is here is Obi-Wan. He is now dedicated to spending all of his time on Tatooine to look over Luke Skywalker, who is his Padawan's son, um, who, you know, he knows is not only he not only does he think that Luke is going to be the chosen one but he has to believe it after literally everything. There is no other alternative for him because his entire culture, his entire people, they're all gone. He has spent all of his life dedicated to saving the light. And now the entire galaxy is in darkness in the shadow of the empire. And so when Maul is literally dying in his arms, he's like, is he the chosen one? And Obi-Wan says, yes. There's no way that he could actually know that because Anakin was supposed to be the chosen one, but he has to believe it. And um, that is so emotional. It's sad. And it's also kind of relieving, you know, to be like, okay, Obi-Wan has lost everything, but at least he hasn't lost his hope. And at least he hasn't lost his faith that there's going to be something better. Any thoughts? Song or I almost said Song of Twin Sons. That's the name of your fan fiction, Sage. This is when I, when like the audience of this podcast realizes that I have no perception of what is fan fiction and what is canon anymore. So like sometimes I'll bring something up and then I'm like, that was in a fan fiction. That was anyway. That I wrote <laughs> Twin <laughs> Sons. Um, go read Song of Twin Sons on AOD. Anyway, Twin Sons. It is what an episode. To be honest, first of all, like we get to see Obi Wan Kenobi and Ezra Bridger that's a lot that really is a lot for me personally um and yeah this is sort of one of the only things up until now that we have the Kenobi series coming out that we see of Obi-Wan in this like interim period and it's obviously like significantly closer to like a new hope and zero BBY than it is to anything in the prequels but it's still a bit of bridging that gap especially because like you said we are talk about Luke being the chosen one but just like this 
be after everything that Maul and Obi-Wan have gone through and all the different like interactions they've had and the times they fought and like faced off against each other and then this being how their like story as a pair ends it's so good and it's also like a really good ending to Maul's story and like where his character has gone just immaculate writing and yeah the fact that like especially actually because Obi-Wan is not a character in Rebels like he's not really there um so to have this one episode where he is such a significant part in both Ezra and Maul's stories even for just like the brief amount of time that Ezra's there just shows like Obi-Wan's impact as a person and his ability to impact other people is so great like there are a lot of characters that have like a wide reach in the galaxy but like Obi-Wan really has affected people from all over the galaxy in a mostly positive way like there are definitely characters like you could be like oh Palpatine has affected everyone in the galaxy obviously but like Obi-Wan does it on a more personal scale so like there are so many people that actually know him and like know what kind of person he is and don't just see him as this like figure or this idea but like know who he is and what his values are and like even this episode like Ezra Bridger is now included in that and so many other people and it's just like Obi-Wan is such a wide-reaching character and he's so important in universe as well as like to fans of this series um and I know that that's going to be a trend that continues in the Kenobi series especially because we're venturing off Tatooine we know so like we get to see his impact on people on other planets not just the planet where he has like has where he now resides have you guys heard the like Dave Filoni breaking down the fight sequence between Maul and Obi-Wan and about like how he like takes his like Sarisu opening pose and then changes it to Atar. I I love that so much. And I feel like that's such a good metaphor for his character. And I really hope that that is explored because I just, oh God, yeah, good character development. Um, Any final thoughts about anything in the Clone Wars or Attack of the Clones or just Obi-Wan himself? Um, two thoughts. One, chef's kiss to whomever animated his hair throughout all of the Clone Wars. Yeah. We appreciate that. Um, and two, Hondo has at one point 100% written self-insert fanfic about him and Obi-Wan, and you cannot convince me otherwise. Those are my final thoughts. You're so right. Actually, somebody... <laughs> so I have this idea in my head that there's like an AO3, but in, in the Star Wars like universe, in universe AO3. Imagine like, you know how there's like famous fanfic writers? imagine hondo is one of them he writes 100%. all the like jedi like romances hondo wrote the my immortal of the star wars universe <laughs> oh okay who wrote rough day mm, who, was who wrote rough day and why is it grief karga you're so right about that <laughs> you're so, oh my god <laughs> oh, oh my god, god i'm in tears <laughs> i just okay actually though if there was like a, a a, a, a fanfic like platform in universe imagine how many like re like real people fanfics there would be about like the clones because that's who a majority of like the people were seeing were these clones and you know how like literally everyone in the star wars fandom is obsessed with people with helmets that's literally all that would be People would have clone OCs in universe. 
the amount of like Padme Amidala fan fictions that there would be on AO3. Half of them are written by the Bad Batch. <laughs> Wrecker being famous fanfic writer is so much. <laughs> Please, yes. So Anakin, so like every couple weeks, checks to see how many like Padme X reader fics yeah. there are, and is like, take these down. <laughs> The amount of like like secret Jedi romance fics that are on there, I already know it. I feel like yeah. I feel like if I was a character in Star, people are always like, oh, if I was a character in Star Wars, I'd be like a Jedi or a pilot. And I'm like, no, I would literally like be who I am now. Like I'd be a fanfic writer. Um, that okay, would but actually, like- a Star Wars novel that I want so badly is like a like romance novel. But it's because we know they canonically have like romance hollows and stuff. I want like a romance novel, but it's like a romance novel that Star Wars characters would read. So it's like an in-universe yeah. romance novel. You know how they're <laughs> making that, you know how they're making that Toy Story movie with Chris Evans? <laughs> it's that, but movie. like it's the movie that exists within the Toy Story canon. I'm actually gonna okay, watch it. Oh my god, okay. Now I'm thinking about in High Republic Adventures, that like Jedi that they're all obsessed with from like the the hollow dramas or whatever. Hal Boda? Is that who it is? Yes, something like that. Yes, I think it is. Mm, it's like Lightyear, but it's but it's him. <laughs> no, they literally said that they have Jedi romance novels. Yeah. In Light of the Jedi. So true. thinking about yeah, thinking about that girl at the beginning of Light of the Jedi who's like reading fan fiction and then dies. <sighs> she was a real one. Rest in peace, girly. Now I'm upset. Like somebody needs to make like an in-universe like fanfic, like an anthology. Like all the different authors can be. It can be like the certain point of view books. Like all the different authors can contribute, and they can each do a little fanfic that would be in-universe. Thank you so much for listening to Fulcrum Transmissions. Please feel free to send us questions. You can DM them to us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. If you enjoy our podcast, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'd really appreciate it. Next week on our countdown to Kenobi, we're talking about Revenge of the Sith and the Clone Wars Season 7, so send us any questions you want us to answer about those. Once again, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye!